Hi, I'm Carol Sanford. I'm the producer and host for the Responsible Entrepreneur podcast. We talk about what it really means to be responsible and how to use a small business to change the course of history. It's named after my award-winning book, The Responsible Entrepreneur, four game-changing archetypes for founders, leaders, and impact investors. So welcome again to The Responsible Entrepreneur. We've got an amazing company with us today called Propagate. I've uh, got three founders here. Would each of you just introduce yourself briefly? Absolutely. My name is Harry Green. I head up farm development at Propagate Ventures. Spend a lot of time outside in the summer and a little bit more inside in the winter. Wow, sounds wonderful. Yeah, Jeremy Kaufman. I kind of head up the operations and design of the company. Um, I kind of bridge the farm side and the market side development uh, for all the things we do. And I'm Ethan Steinberg. Uh, this, the last uh, leg of the tripod here. Uh, in terms of our founding team, and uh, I had up most of our business development. Terrific. So, Propagate Ventures is an exciting idea to me, which is why I asked you to be here. Would you give people a little bit of a sense of how did this idea emerge for you, and therefore, what's the business about? Absolutely. So, it really stemmed from combining finance and regenerative agriculture, specifically agroforestry. So uh, Jeremy and I met about three years ago um, through a friend and we both, we both had this idea of, of using investment capital to uh, diversify agricultural landscapes, specifically with trees. Uh, so we went out and uh, interviewed a lot of farmers across the Midwest and the Northeast and read the existing literature and here we are today. So. Um, and then how did you launch it? Because, I mean, that's not two things people had very much put together before, right? The finance uh, and then the regenerating agriculture, especially through forestry. How in the world did you tell people about this and launch it? It's, it's generally been a slow launch. Um, lots of iteration. Uh, it's, it's generally been uh, the same idea since day one. It's just gotten more and more refined. Yeah, a lot of the, the launch has come through kind of these iterative steps of working with different stakeholders that have kind of been bought in at different levels. Um, and at the time where the, the right stakeholder groups were kind of big enough for us where we could really kind of deploy something meaningful. And who, who are those? Who are the stakeholder groups? So there's, you really work with three stakeholder groups, um, in investors, farmers, landowners, um, and, and brands and buyers. And the, those three stakeholder groups are kind of like uh, a triad of kind of different moving pieces of what makes up kind of a good marketplace for land, for land development. Um, and so for, for us, it was really kind of honing in on what each one of those want, wanted uh, to be able to find where the niches were for adding value to the system. Um, and so we about, took us about a year really of being able to do that development, to be able to get to some, some sort of offering that would really fit. Um, and then another, uh, another year of the, over the past year of really kind of, doing the development work with our with the model that we've built uh, to get to where we are today. And, and so what are you offering anyway? We're offering, uh, in many ways, like a, a service that connects these three stakeholder groups to create incentives around changing the agriculture toward an agroforestry system. Um, in between kind of a combination of um, design for landscape development, 
um, fi finance and back back office kind of modeling type work. So building out kind of the financial models that make it all viable, and then managing the deployment and implementation of those systems on the ground. So very similar to what a farm management company would do. A lot, a lot of the times, uh, different different landowners have different capacities to manage different system types. So being able to bridge that um, all the way through to the design side and helping kind of change that system through what it looks like on the ground is kind of the, the nodal point of, of where, we, where we play. Yeah, and, and also looking across the different, across the system as a whole, there's different, and all those different stakeholders have their place. So we'll, we'll kind of string across looking at, at what point is the conversation right for a consumer brand uh, to be connected in? And kind of where are those places to intervene in the system? And so outlining essentially, I mean, one of the core concepts of agroforestry being integration, uh, particularly with tree crops. Um, and so kind of taking that same thinking and applying it across these different uh, organizations or communities that can share in practices that create positive uh, or impactful outcomes. Um, one follow-up question on that. I was uh, married to a forester for 24 years who managed the nurseries for a large um, international corporation. And one of the things that he had was an incredibly good heart, but he didn't always have an understanding, uh, even though he was an executive, of why the finance mattered. It was more like, well, that's just how people make money off of us. Why does this entire process matter to have all of these linked in some meaningful way that us average folks would understand. Yeah, I think <clears throat> the tr on kind of starting with the kind of the the farmer and the landowner as kind of the, the key nodal point is the oftentimes changing practices is expensive, um, and doing so is a long term commitment. And for landowners and farmers these days who don't have the, the capital to be able to deploy over a, a 10 year long cycle um, is something that is a little, is very overwhelming. So being able to solve that problem by bringing secondary capital to the table and helping bridge that gap uh, is why it's so important. There's a lot of risk in that time, time horizon that the farmer already doesn't have the capacity really to take on right now. Um, and that's due to many of the macro factors across the industry in the U.S. as to like where farming is today um, and what, what is viable for farmers to make decisions on. So concisely, for finance moves capital around in space and time. So from places of high concentration in the future uh, to the present in dispersed concentration. So we call this particular podcast the responsible entrepreneur, right? Which has behind it the idea that it's possible to do this without a full responsibility, you know, just for yourselves. But I believe in just knowing you that you're thinking of something much bigger, much longer term, much bigger space and time. Could you just touch on that a bit? Sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So the, I guess if we look at this through the lens of diversity, uh, and looking at our agricultural landscapes, be they in Vermont or the Midwest or anywhere, it's farming has become a lot more 
concentrated with lots of specialization um, or almost absolute specialization. And adding trees, uh, just in taking, taking advantage of that vertical space on a landscape and adding structural diversity begets biological diversity in terms of the provision of ecosystem services, which in turn begets economic diversity and not just moving value to rural landscapes, but creating it directly from photosynthesis. So I guess that, that being our ethos, um, it's, we, that, and that's, that's a, it's not necessarily an endpoint, but more of a direction. A guiding principle. Yeah. So, go ahead. Yeah. I'll, I'll add here that, and this, this stems from a conversation Jeremy and I had uh, this past spring with a gentleman by the name of Thomas Hubel, uh, and the conversation we had there was, uh, the term responsibility is very interesting. And it, it means essentially the ability to respond. Um, so like in the context of your question about the responsible entrepreneur, I think for us, part of that like guiding star is uh, business as, as like an organizational tool, the, or the corporation, the business as a tool to, to have the capacity to respond in a way that is impactful and kind of what Harry is saying that serves life beyond just um, human. And not just being net zero and say mitigating the harm that a business does, but actually doing something that is inherently good. Now I'm always fascinated by that term because I find that often humans are pretty anthropocentric about what they think is good. Right. Uh, and so I, uh, I, I find that I have t started to use the word regenerate, which means taking something more to the essence of what you're seeking to help evolve. So get me past just doing good, would you? In another sentence. Sure. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because you're, 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 there's a combination of factors where you have to meet people where they're at uh, in every kind of group that we're working with. And it, it's, it's working that edge of getting them to see the seven generations of vision for what a place and a community looks like. Um, and that's something that is core to every, every conversation that we have. Um, I think we were just in a, in a meeting literally yesterday um, with a farm, uh, 200 old a year farm here, um, family inheritance. And the, the conversations are really about alignment with all the people on the ground to like create a, a co-vision for that place. And that really drives a lot of the decision-making, less so whether or not we're gonna plant apples or we're gonna plant currants because it's economically viable. Um, so it, and a lot of those decisions about what the ecology can support and what ecology wants is, it, it's in many ways the easiest part of the conversation. The hard part is how do we want to, where do we see this land? Like, and how do we want, how, how does it feel? How does it taste? How does it kind of, uh, what is the experience of it in 10 years, 20 years? And that, that is what drives a regenerative engine so how do you keep that not from not becoming anthropocentric? Again, I find when people do a lot of talking about visioning, that's a human thing, right? This place doesn't vision. 
It is, and it's on its path to something. How do you work with people in a way that they don't impose a human's idea of what they want this orchard to be or this piece of land, but instead also include the story that the land would tell us if it had a voice? That's a good question because what we're doing in terms of agroforestry is also very much anthroforestry. So it's, it, it almost is inherently anthropocentric. Um, but I guess that being said, we have to look at the, the biogeophysical climate yeah, to, I mean, so, to like see how it wants to express itself because you, you can't like grow blueberries on a rock. So I'll, I'll, so. I'll, I'll say this is that like at the end of the day, the interesting thing about everything that's worked on in the business world is it's human centric. It's, it's built for humans by humans. Um, and like, if we talk a lot about existential risk, that's very direct to where humans fit within that scale of risk. So I think in the context of, for us is how do we start to find ways to like match and integrate that thinking together? It's, it's really looking at, um, how we can benefit and value the human piece of this puzzle, uh, in reciprocity with the uh, natural piece here mm-hmm. rather than in extraction with the natural piece. So it's, it's really about finding those, those like components that actually work better in collaboration rather than in scarcity. It's, it's, it's a funny thing because we, we talk a lot about when we're, when we're talking about like the design of these systems, um, like speaking on behalf of the mycorrhizal fungi in the soil, like speaking on behalf of the ecology of the kind of the way in which insects interact in the ecosystem. You know, the, those pieces are the drivers behind the kind of the, the, the way in which ecosystems develop and they naturally emerge. And, it, and it, it's interesting because it's a, it's a constant battle to, 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 to work toward that, that focus um, as being kind of the core principles of design and not toward things like yield Things like how much am I going to get out of this apple tree or per acre and saying in many ways we're designing for being able to ensure that that tree has a really good immune system because it, it, it's a living creature. Um, mm-hmm. And that being it's, it's, we have to be able to bleed that edge a little bit of our anthropocentric. Great. Yeah. So one of the things I think in roles like you have, you have an opportunity to be educating a bit right? As opposed to serving something people ask you. I always say I don't start with where people are. I start with slightly ahead of where they are. Because if we aren't slightly ahead of where they are, what we get is us moving toward them. And part of that means, and I think you're describing this, but I want to make it explicit and have you comment on it, is we are humans are nested in a living system which is different than being one with nature or side by side with nature we are literally nested nature is nested in living systems we are nested inside of nature inside of living systems and helping people be able to see that and how we work in a business so that the business isn't as you say ethan just ends up being a transactional thing what is if at all the way you seek to educate. Could you go another step on that, Jeremy? Or yeah. whoever feels like they... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know, it, it, it depends on who we're speaking to, um, but there's, 
making sure that the conversation is being driven toward like a what I think how to say this it, it starts from kind of a baseline of care with the, about a person and what their interests are. Great. Right? And then it from from there you can kind of gauge where they're at and then kind of bring in the knowledge that is going to kind of lead, that kind of like is a leading, in many ways is like a leading question, but like leading them toward a direction that is inherently aligned with their value or, or their goals. Right. Um, so you use questioning. Question. Yeah, so questioning becomes a very important way. You ask a question, they go, oh, I hadn't thought about that, or I have to think about that. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's a really good lesson for other responsible entrepreneurs is because there's sometimes a lot of agony in what you hear people saying back when you have a business like yours. And sometimes you can just ask a provocative question out of all naivete. So that's a delightful answer. Why don't we switch a little bit to uh, telling the story of how the three of you come together. What's, what's your story? Because I heard Harry say he just met um, Ethan, I think it was, a year ago or so. But somehow you must mesh together in some way. Any way to articulate that? <laughs> I, I'm, as, the, as kind of the center node of this, this, this polarity here, I'll, I'll take this question. Um, there, there's in it, so I met Ethan uh, back in college back at university out in Miami, Ohio, uh, Miami University. And Ethan has always been in the kind of the role of kind of social entrepreneurship throughout his entire life. And I, in college, I kind of steered in that direction for business. <laughs> and out, out of college, kind of went out to San Francisco um, and through the, through, through the process of learning how to like work with software and hardware technology companies, um, kind of emerged of wanting to get back to some of my roots, which was uh, back in college and even uh, before then, um, farming and forestry. Um, the, in my family business is in stair and railing manufacturing, so I was really intimately connected to the, the, the timber industries. And the in college, I got sick, and as a result, I had to learn how to, where my food came from and really healed myself through food and farming. Um, so after coming back from San Francisco, a good friend of mine from, from, from high school actually introduced me to Harry after hearing mutual visions coming out of both of us. At the time, Harry was just coming out of his graduate program out of, out of UVM. And we, I, I drove up to UVM to meet him and we kind of had a long conversation about these things and decided we're gonna do a research project together. And we, and we decided to go and travel for, for three months really, uh, around the Midwest, Northeast, uh, in the U.S. And in that time frame... It was just one month. It feels like a And And so we're driving around, and I, and I think during that time frame, I'm like, we're, we're kind of on to something here, and it feels like there's, there's meaning what we're doing. And I, I'm not quite sure what's going to emerge, um, but we have some good ideas. And I called up Ethan, who has been kind of a, a confidant and kind of a, a, a person who's, who's, who, who's not afraid to, to express his opinion about what, what is a good idea or what is a bad idea. Jeremy and I have known each other since the, we were like the first people we met at like the second day of university. So we've known, we go back through the whole, the whole thing. Um, and we've, we've tried to launch businesses together, but we've always had this, and I think, so our relationship uh, as well as Perry is we have no problem digging into the details of here's the idea, let's work through that and feeling totally cool, being uncomfortable with the reality of trying to work through a problem. 
um, so, so I, I, I called Ethan. I was like, I have, I have this crazy idea. <laughs> and, and he, and I, I walked him through it. He's, he's digging in and he's like, you know what? I think you're onto something. And at the time he was at uh, South by Southwest in, in uh, Texas. Um, and just fr from that point on, all of our time and energy started to kind of slowly but surely merge into working on this problem. Uh, and then from there, working through having conversations with people as a representative of a, of a thing, of, of an entity. Um, and it, it, it kind of naturally emerged out of our relationship uh, of working through those problems together to find what was a mutually uh, beneficial uh, entity that could serve the problems that we're trying to solve. Great. Well, I can see that you've all learned to work together, step in, say what needs to be added. So I figure you're on a good path. Um, I have, um, yeah, given we have very little time, we got a couple more questions here. Uh, I wrote a book called The Responsible Entrepreneur because I felt like social entrepreneurs were never going to get it and never going to be enough. Uh, and part of that was that they actually uh, tended to start from a cause or a problem and then try and work on it. And there were a million people working on the cause. They weren't able to really conceive of what it was that really needed to shift, where the heart of something was that could make a much bigger difference. They, could, they had their personal agency in it, but they didn't necessarily have a business head in it. So my question for you is, I, I love what you're doing, but how do, you, how do you know you're gonna stay in business? How have you structured this as a business model so you have a place to meet people who can give you support uh, financially the reciprocity you need, because uh, this thing is kind of tricky, walking on finance and uh, uh, good deeds. What's your business model? Yeah, I can jump in. The, Could you lean in a little bit? Your voice gets lost on the microphone. Okay. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's kind of similar to what Jeremy and, and Harry were, were alluding to, is that there's these different stakeholders. So our our product or our programs are aimed at, serving some sort of inefficiency inefficiency with that stakeholder group so to take like uh, to take farmers in the u.s for example uh, in our experience it was pretty clear that many farmers who are looking at innovating on farm um, are unfortunately at the point where they're taking on an extraordinary amount of debt to do so uh, so we identified that pretty early as a, as a problem um, or a challenge that could be overcome so how to like from there, how do, we, how do we get to a point where we can solve that challenge and then solve some of the ecological problems within the same platform? And so for us, it's kind of work, I'll kind of work you through our different like products. And, and everything that we do starts essentially with a, um, it's, I'll call it an agroforestry audit. And since Jeremy and I both spent some time in the software world, um, short of calling ourselves software survivors, uh, there was some good learnings <laughs> yeah, that come from that. Um, and the learnings that come from that is we actually have a, a really ripe opportunity to look at on-farm data and start to apply that data in a way that solves that economic inefficiency. Um, so we can look at designing agroforestry systems or regenerative agriculture practices into, call it like the modus operandi of a farm. Um, 
And so that's a product of ours and that's, so we can spin it out and, and essentially we hand over to our, our farmer, farm partners and, and landowners that they, they essentially have this audit and it runs through uh, the things they should be looking at in terms of crop types and soil, um, topography and watersheds, all the way through to what markets are at play. So what's the sort of enterprise budget? What's the capital expenditure that's required? At what point does free cash flow come um, with a given system? And maybe that's fruit and timber, or maybe that's just, uh, perhaps that's like currants and chestnuts. I mean, there could be a multitude of different poss possibilities, but to kind of hone that in on something concrete that, that showcases both the type of systems we're talking about and, and the, the map of how that becomes integrated on a farm and kind of paired with the economic analysis. So that's a product. That's essentially the, the agroforestry audit. And then we work through a more of like an annual consulting basis, I'll call it, um, to, to help uh, and operate with the, those farm partners so that as we get those systems in the ground, those trees in the ground, the management capacity is continuing to be upgraded over time. Um, yeah, it, so it sounds like you have, excuse me, Jeremy, um, um, it sounds like you have evolved the meaning of the idea of technology. I hope so. Many technologies, as I'm listening to you, could you just say, whoever, yeah. what does that mean to have technology have a broader meaning almost in all three legs of the stool you have? Yeah, just a note on this, you know, there's, there's, the, there's the delivery of the information, right? So that information is it. It can be delivered in a multitude of formats, right? But then there's kind of the contents of that information. What is the like? What what are the thought technologies and the, and the, the mind technologies that we're working with to be able to uh, help those uh, farmers and landowners be able to understand the, the value um, and help them deliver that value on in the landscape over time. And so there's frameworks that we've implemented that are drawing off of some amazing work from everything from holistic management from Alan Savory through to a uh, Regrarian's platform with a guy named Darren Doherty. Um, and taking some of that uh, amazing work they've done and kind of bringing it into a format that is that a lot of uh, farmers and landowners can bring through to the actual management practices on the ground um, and get a, a good kind of analysis both of the biology biological technology as well as the economic analysis or the kind of analytical technologies that allow us to kind of get a good sense of within a margin of error of what is going to be the best kind of way forward for integrating some of these more complex practices on the farm so when i think about technology and your three um legged stool of sorts you've really got a mental or a thinking an intellectual technology about how to think through things you've got a platform technology which is the way we usually think of technology nowadays but you also have clearly a biological technology that you've spent a lot of time understanding how it is that living systems work and making sure when the information is transmitted, it passes through those other two in a clear, useful way. Am I exactly. getting that right? Okay. Yeah, exactly right. Absolutely. And I think one of the, the funny things that, that we joke about, at least in our office, is at the end of the day, really what we're doing is we're taking an understanding of those different forms of technology and organizing it so that others can digest it. Great. And with that digestion, then we have like the nutrients in our system to act on. That's great. On that, on those forms of technology. So, I mean, 
given all the complexity of what we, we sit down and work through on a day-to-day -day basis, the ongoing joke is, well, we're just organizing information. <laughs> all right. there, it's just making it palatable to people that don't like to read all day long. Well, it sounds like a little more than palatable. It's, it's really like it, it is organized in a way that I can grasp it in some meaningful, deep way. Because I, I am not able to understand a lot of what you're doing biologically, although I grew up on farms and was married to a forester for years. But I need something to be put together in a way that I can see how complex ideas relate, where I may know one or I may need one, but I need you to pull it together. So that's what excites me about what I hear you doing. Um, a couple more questions, and we're just about out of time here. Uh, have you done anything? Has anything been accomplished? What kind of progress have you made? You got any clients? You know, tell me what, uh, what some of the success is in what you've been doing. Yeah, so start with on the ground. Uh, last growing season, we had our first successful implementation. It's about, uh, it's a five acre system. It's alley cropped fruit trees. Uh, and mostly shrub fruit. This year, we're moving forward with our first leasing model, uh, where we, uh, we've set up a long-term lease to grow tree crops on about 25 acres in, it's called Livingston, New York. It's just south of Hudson. Um, and then with a farm that is incorporated into that land that farm that works with the, that owns the land that we're leasing along with a sister farm. We're also planting out the riparian zone, uh, supplying the trees for, it's a 2,300 acre grain farm uh, right next door. So that's, uh, that's where we are right now. And then we're looking at taking on some new lands just to build out our hub in, in the Hudson Valley. We're looking at about 300 more acres to, to take on in the next few years. And in, in kind of in context here, what that looks like by the numbers is about altogether all about 50,000 trees in just in the Hudson area. Um, and that's a combination of fruit, nut, and timber crops that were designed to work in tandem with other operations, not just putting trees in the ground, but those trees to work with cattle, those trees to work with grain production. Um, and that's kind of an, what we, a lot of what we do is being able to design in tandem with the existing equipment that they have, the existing kind of methodology that they're, that they're working with. Um, so the model that we've built up here in Hudson is something that we're in the process of building out as well elsewhere. So running audits and in places like Georgia, uh, Missouri, Wisconsin, being able to kind of build those out as hubs for agroforestry practices as well. And where you're talking about, it's the Hudson River Valley in New York, right? Just in case anybody doesn't quite have know what Hudson means. That's great. One last question. So I hear what's on your radar now, upcoming next year or two. But I'm wondering if when you first had this conversation about this is a business, if you had uh, a big idea about where you hope to end up, uh, and could you share anything about where you uh, hope that you could have somebody describe what this business might be like in five, ten years? Yeah, so I, to, give, to give the quick answer, it, it looks like tree crops on leased land uh, as an asset separate from the land itself, such that the deployment of those tree crops can occur 
uh, more quickly with lower capital expenditures. So that's the direction we're going with. We're starting with shrub fruit just because break-even occurs much sooner along with, uh, with those cash flows. And that's going to move towards things like silvopasture, which uh, we view yeah. as the most scalable form of agroforestry. So tell, tell our folks here what that is. Yeah. I know what you mean, but tell yeah. us. Um, silvopasture is one of two things. It's incorporating livestock into existing forest, which is a little bit less common, and then also adding trees to grazing land. And what trees can do for cattle is mitigate heat stress. So cattle that aren't being dehydrated in the hot sun in the summer can gain up to 1.2 pounds more per day, which is pretty significant uh, economically. But for us, that just looks like a, um, a timber asset that um, shares of which can be bought and sold until the 15 or 20 year mark when those trees are turned into furniture and decking. So if you take it back to what indigenous people always said is a forest farms and it farms with animals, with humans helping it, with many, many different kinds of critters, insects, et cetera, which are there. And so you, you're holding an image of bringing together and supporting the forest doing its farming. Absolutely. I, I think for us at the end of the day, it's like most of us, I grew up in the Midwest, like, but most of us have been in the Midwest. So anyway, being in that part of the, the country and you kind of look out at farmland and it's just flat for miles and miles. I think for us, one of like our North stars, one of our guiding principles is in the future, if we're looking out at that farmland, there's an ecological diversity there. And that means um, how, in a lot of ways, better use of the vertical space. Um, and in a lot building, of ways, building gills at all of those levels, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and for us, it's how do we get there? It's at, at different scales and different sizes of organization. That there's all these different groups, whether they be corporations that are producing a, a product that's sold on a shelf, all the way through to um, farm enterprises and kind of everything in between. Folks that are processing or distributing food. Um, it's it's really connecting those dots with those organizations so that like we're hoping that as we move forward, our model becomes more applicable on larger and larger pieces of land so that as we look out on that landscape, that diversification uh, from an ecological perspective is happening within a time frame that also mitigates some of the, like I'll call it climate risk. Uh, and that's, I think that's past some of the, the politics of it is just making sure that for the next seven generations plus, there's value created economically and there's a habitable planet that people can live on and, and be joyous and love and have loving relationships with the land and with each other. So we have run out of time, but tell people if they want to know more about you or people who just heard this last part and said, wait, I want to partner with these guys, or I got to think of, I think there's a way we could bring something, uh, or they could bring something to us. Where would they go look and how would they reach you if they want to have a conversation? There's a few places. So um, our website is propagateventures.com. We also run, uh, we, we essentially aggregate news on the regenerative economy. And that looks at agriculture and farms, that looks at investments and economics, uh, some things that brands are doing, uh, as well as research that we're writing ourselves. 
um, and bringing in fellow contributors to write. So um, that's propagate.org. Um, we're on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Am I missing anything? Be being millennials, we're pretty accessible. <laughs> I yeah. love it. I think that's great. Well, listen, Harry, Jeremy, and Ethan, you are a delight to talk to. You give me hope for uh, the ability to bring living systems into the business world, which, of course, is what I care about. Um, and so if folks want to find you, I hope they do. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, us. Carol. Thanks so much. I'm hoping that those of you who listen to this podcast will come back for more. We have the Responsible Entrepreneur podcast. You can find it at carolsanford.com, that's C-A-R-O-L-S-A-N-F-O-R-D.com, where you can find also the Responsible Capitalist, which is uh, made available for those who are in the impact investing or other kinds of investing world. We also have many other blogs. We have articles. I have many things available on carolsanford.com and a few more on seed-communities.com, S-E-E-D-communities.com, which has a whole chain of events and exciting opportunities for entrepreneurs. So thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.